I am in a great mood today. I could see it in your eyes. Something ginormous happened in the Boulay household. What? My wife admitted something huge yesterday. Please do tell. I was shocked. I had to sit down because I wasn't sure what was happening. I, my mind was spinning. It was insane. We've been married almost 18 years. I went away a few weekends ago to visit you, build your podcast room. A couple of weeks have went by, and she finally admitted what happened over the weekend while I was gone. What? For 18 years, she has been saying, I steal the blankets every night. Last night, she told me, while I was gone, every morning she'd wake up, and the blankets would be on my side on the floor. <laughs> so she pushes the blankets off. 18 years, I've been told I steal the blankets. 18 years of abuse. Tell me about it. <laughs> I slept like a baby last night only because I knew I wasn't taking those blankets. That's why you're well rested. But guaranteed she didn't say I was wrong. She just told you the story of the blankets. You're right. She didn't say that. <laughs> no. I don't even think there was an apology. <laughs> no, and there won't be. Oh, well, this changes my mood now. <laughs> <laughs> this is Taming the Hustle. Or something of the sorts. I think I'm going to go out and buy separate comforters now, just out of spite. <laughs> hey, speaking of couples, I want you to start first today, and I want you to talk about dual income couples yeah. and how that relates in the whole financial planning world. You know what? You put this on the list, right? Mm -hmm. And you put it on the roster for today. I'm going to talk about a couple of things that I'm not sure is what you kind of anticipated as a topic. We may have to just be like a good old school uh, radio station and just have a chat where you're going to kind of challenge me on this spot with what you had in mind in terms of topic. Because first thing that comes to mind for me with respect to dual income financial planning is back in the day, see, I think things are more complicated now. And it's not a sexist thing. It's just let's look at facts, right? So back yeah. in the day, you had more often than not, it was the husband went to work, mm -hmm. mom stayed home to care for the house, keep the household tidy and look after the kids. And it was a team effort because everything yeah. got done, yep. right? Husband had to go out and, you know, do labor or whatever and bring home money for them to be able to pay for their lifestyle. Yeah. And the wife did everything else. Yes, which was a tough job. Which was a tough job. And consequently, when you look at finances is they had one bank account. Yeah. And they shared finances because it was a team effort. It wasn't like, oh, this amount is mine and this amount is yours. They just mm -hmm. fucking dealt with it as a team and said, okay, we're going to have common interests and common priorities when it comes to our finances. Like, okay, we both love to travel. Or back in the day, traveling was a real luxury. Is like, okay, we need to buy a house. We need yeah. to try to educate our kids. We need to be responsible with our money and the whole philosophy of, you know, saving up and buying it once you can afford it instead of just buying everything right now on credit. Exactly. The complication starts now is that everyone wants their own independence. I would say 95% of households are dual income households now. Yeah, right? for sure. I'm just guessing. I don't know the stats, but just from observation. Like I said before, we're not doctors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> or analytic experts. Yeah. I'm not a stat expert. So anyway, the complication lies where everyone wants their own independence. They want their own bank account. 
and everyone wants to feel empowered. Mm -hmm. But when you get into a relationship, when the income level is different, is how the fuck do you deal with that? Yeah. And this is something that I come across, I wouldn't say daily, but very, very regularly. Let's look at an example. Okay. Mom and dad yep. or husband and wife, couple, whatever, honeymoon stage, doesn't matter. Yep. Let's say as a couple, you earn 150 a year. One earns 100,000 and the other earns 50,000. Gotcha. Okay. How do you split the household expenses and how do you split the cost of funding your lifestyle yep. if your income's not the same, but you want your own independence and everyone wants to feel empowered? Yep. Do you agree to say, okay, because factually, if you're living in a house, you're both consuming the same amount of energy. You're both exactly. eating the same amount of food. So the mortgage, the utilities, the internet cost, the food bill, everything should be theoretically split 50-50 because you're consuming 50% of that household cost. Mm -hmm. But if you're only earning a third of the family income, yeah. is it fair exactly. for you to have to pay 50% of the cost? Or do you agree as a couple because you're earning a third of the income that you only pay a third of the expenses. And then does the person that's earning two thirds of the income feel like they're dishing out more money than they should because they're pulling the other one's weight? Because we've become that society now. Oh, 100%. We're no longer mom and dad who legit look at this as a team effort. There's always this, mm -hmm. I'm doing more, I'm contributing more, yep. I'm putting more money into the relationship. I pay more of the fucking mortgage and that creates friction and tension. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about money's a stressor and causes 90% of the divorces, yeah, that is why it's like, how do you figure it out as a couple to mm -hmm. make sure that it's fair, but that everyone is kind of in agreement and not feeling like they've been gypped somehow? Can you understand where I'm coming from with this? 100%. Because it's become really complicated and it's and it's added complexity to our job as well too because I'm sure we become therapists when it comes to this stuff because <laughs> there's no right answer. I was actually brainstorming this with Meg earlier when I was prepping for this episode. Yeah. And I she says, "Well, what's the answer? Like you're the expert. What what is the answer? There is no answer. No. You have to work with the relationship that you're given, right? Yeah. So you've got a couple that you're working with. Like my job is to figure out what it is that is important to them and how they see things to try to help them see eye to eye so that they can come to some sort of agreement that they feel is fair, right? Exactly. In my relationship, it's funny because I've had this conversation with friends before and Aaron and I we're the anomaly where we have one bank account and we pay the bills from that bank account. The money goes in, whatever gets paid comes out. We don't count dollars and cents. It's just we are a team, exactly what you were saying earlier. But I've had friends who have said, you know, we nickel and dime and fight about the bills because I make a little bit more money than he does or he makes a little bit more money than her. It works for us to just work as a team. All the money goes in one bank account. That's how much money the boules have, not how much money. Aaron and Daryl have. However, we have that mindset. We both are very similar in our mindsets. So it works for us, but it's not going to work for everybody. And friends of mine have brought this up. And I always say, I don't look at it as a 50-50 split because you guys make different incomes. And they're like, yeah, but she eats the same amount of food as I do, or, or he uses as much gas as I do in the house. The tips I've always given have been, think about it like the government and taxes. You are in a tax bracket, so you pay a certain amount of taxes based on your income. 
And I look at that and I say, think of your household as taxes. So if you're paying a 50 percentile and the other person is paying a 20 percent or 25 or whatever it is, or 40, that's how it should be split in the household. I tend to agree with you. Like in a perfect world, you would have that one pot of money and you just wouldn't worry about who's contributing more or less because it's a team effort. Yeah. Right. I live with that philosophy as well, too. But you also have to respect the people that don't feel that way. Yeah. That's most often than not, it's new second relationships. Yeah. Right. So you've been burned. You've had some stresses. We've talked about divorce. We've talked about prenups. We've talked about all of those, you know, complicated situations that are very, very stressful is that you get into a new relationship and you're like, fuck this noise. I'm not, you know, holding up three quarters of the expense just because I'm making more coin. So I agree with you in a perfect world. It should be just one pot of gold. Everyone is bringing their A game. Right. If you have a salary or if you have a career that is earning you less money, you know, the perfect example is a miner, right? Like the miners taking a risk going underground and blasting and stuff. So they're going to make 140, 150,000 a year. But if you're like a teacher's aide or something and you're making yourself $50,000 a year. Yeah. I mean, you're still going to work every day. You're just not taking on that risk that the miner is. So you're not earning as much. I don't know. Those fucking kids these days are, I'd rather take a (laughs) rock blast to the face than deal with some of these kids. Let me hold that dynamite (laughs) and light that shit in my face. I can't deal with that kid. But honestly, this is really, really tricky. And it's becoming more of a problem in relationships as we observe societal changes. It's crazy. So where's the shift, right? Yeah. Like how do we come to terms with a healthy relationships, not only from an emotional perspective and sharing a life together, but from a financial relationship? How do you come to terms with that without fighting? Because no like kidding. to me, life is way too short to fight about yeah. money, but people fucking do it all the time. Daily. So let's dive a little deeper into that, Daryl. Yeah. Is okay, so you and I are together, you're making a hundred and I'm making fifty. So you're earning two thirds of the family income and we're going on vacation. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting first class, you're sitting coach. It's simple. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's gonna be like that, eh? <laughs> Well, I'm not putting out. <laughs> what do you ever? <laughs> oh, my God. Since we got married, our sex life sucks. You go ahead and sit in first class, you jerk. I'm not talking to you the whole vacation. But, but seriously, it's like you're sitting next to your spouse in the same fucking seat that's yep. costing you the same amount of money. You're renting the same car. You're going to the same restaurants. You're staying at the same Airbnb or the same all-inclusive fucking vacation in Mexico. So do you fucking pay a third less or do you have to pay half? So to me, we just put it all in one pot and we yep. make our dreams come true together. But let's be real. People don't all feel that way yeah. and that's okay. But how the fuck do we navigate that? Right? So all of a yeah. sudden you're contributing a third of the vacation, but the one that's contributing two thirds is fucking dangling this thing. I'm doing more than you are. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So how do we take that stressor out of the relationship? There's no magic answer like other than communicating. Like yeah. if there's one message that I could relay on to our listeners today is you need to communicate this stuff with your spouse because this could be a reason for divorce, right? This no could kidding. cause, this could be a relationship ender. One thing that I always wonder about, again, Aaron and I are the anomaly, but couples who are that separate, who are literally nickel and diming everything that they do together, when it comes to investing for their future or even for their kid's future, how does that go down? Because I feel like even that, like I couldn't imagine being in a relationship where it's like one of us is hanging that over someone's head that I make more than you and I contribute more than you. And then saying like an RESP saying, well, you know, dad 
paid for 75% of your school, but mom only paid for 25%. Dude, that is a great point. The first thing that comes to mind is this. You have, let's say a nurse that's earning like 120,000 a year. Nice. And then you have the husband who's earning $60,000 a year. Mm -hmm. She's got a monster hoop pension. So she's got a defined benefit pension plan that's going to hook her up with retirement forever. But she's the higher income earner, so she has yeah. the ability to help the spouse, the husband, save for his retirement because he doesn't have a pension plan. Yeah. And because she's a higher income earner, we'll recommend that that spouse do, say, a spousal contribution, which means you're doing an RSP. Okay, so I'm making 60, you're making 120, 130, 140, whatever. Yeah. You're contributing to my RSP because I don't have a pension and we're doing it as a spousal. So you get the tax break. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you're doing 10,000 a year and you're in a 43% tax bracket, you get the $4,300 back. Yeah. But the whole 10,000 goes into my name because I don't have a pension plan. So the idea there from a financial planning standpoint is that you have the monster pension with the big income. I have less income with no pension. So we want to be as tax efficient as possible by giving you the tax break, but I own the investment. So the onus on me at retirement is to pay tax on that. So there are provisions with the government to do pension splitting and stuff. But yeah. aside from all of that, our goal is still to try if, if a couple needs 120000 a year to fund their retirement, we would hope that on paper, at least when filing a tax return, that you're both earning 60000 so that you pay the least amount of tax possible. Yeah. So we run into situations where we have clients that are couples that are actually counting these dollars where you're going to contribute to my RSP. But I'm going to pay for it, even though I'm earning less money. And we're going to say split the tax rebate to make yeah. it fair. Like how complicated does okay. a relationship have to be? <laughs> right. Do you run your relationship as a business? Yeah. Right. Or do you run it as a team where you're yeah. all in it with the same objectives and you're in it for life? You brought up a good point about taxes because I've had friends where we've had this conversation where we're sitting around just after tax time and I'm explaining, you know, what our taxes were this year and stuff like that. And I'll say, you know, Renee did such a great job at actually combining and taking parts of our income and like making it work for us so that we're not paying as much taxes as we would if we went to like H&R Block and just did it or did it on our own on a computer program where we're not making it work as a team. And they're like, well, what are you talking about? They're like, when we do our taxes, it's just individual. We don't even combine nothing. And I'm like, it boggles my mind because I'm like, you are missing out on tax benefits. No kidding. When you're just being stubborn in a way because you're like, no, everything's separate. We're staying separate. Oh, dude, I see that all the time. <laughs> it's like, you know, we're living together, but uh, filing separate. Uh, well, first of all, CRA rule says if you're living together, you have to file your yep. tax returns, common law at least. Yeah. But you're missing out on opportunity for the most part. There's this misconception that if you file separately, you're going to get all these tax credits and stuff. Unless you're like super low income to get some sort of, yeah. let's call them incentives. Yeah. There is no advantage of filing individually. Yeah. That's a myth that you should file as a couple if you're a couple. Yeah. Agreed. So in addition to your obligation with CRA, Mm -hmm. looking at your finances as a couple makes a whole lot of sense. You know, getting back to someone who's got a pension plan versus someone who doesn't. Like what we see often in the North is that what I used earlier is you've got a nurse that has a who pension plan with benefits and you have a minor who's working at one of our mines that has employee benefits as well and a defined contribution plan. So typically... The miner makes more money, again, because of the risk and stuff, depending on what his role is at the mine. 
right? Yeah. If he's sweeping floors, he's obviously going to make less money. But if he's blasting and handling dynamite and he's a high producing miner, he's going to have much larger bonuses and he's going to have really good income. So the spouse that is working at the hospital that has a hoop pension plan, her pension essentially is going to replace 60% of her income if she has enough years of service. Mm -hmm. So if you look as a couple where the wealth accumulation is, we often forget the value of the pension plan because the yeah. pension plan could end up being worth, say, $1.5 or $2 million yeah. at retirement. But as you're accumulating wealth that you can see on your investment statement or on your mobile app with your bank or whatever, is typically you would see the wealth growing on the miner side because he has to fund his own retirement, make his own investment choices and be responsible for for, you know, managing his, his investments properly. Yeah. So there's a discrepancy there that, you know, on paper, you'll see that the miner is growing his wealth and we're contributing, you know, pretty aggressively to his portfolio, knowing that the nurse is going to have 60% of her income replaced at retirement. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to have a little bit of financial wisdom to be able to have these conversations as a couple to understand it's like, okay, Daryl, just cause you're earning 150 and you've got 800,000 in investment doesn't mean that you've kind of left me out of the picture. Mm -hmm. I recognize that my pension is going to pay me $60,000 a year for the rest of my life. You know, so again, financial planning for dual income families is having conversation. Communication is key and having a solid plan of attack and understanding why you're making the decisions that you're making and working with a certified financial planner like myself or people from my firm can help you kind of decipher that. And as a couple, we become the mediator, helping you understand what it is that you're doing and why you're doing it. So then you don't go home and argue about financial shit that doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Again, like you said, in a perfect world, it'd be nice if you just work as a team. And even if you're working as a team with two separate bank accounts, but just in agreement with stuff, I think is so important. Yeah. I love it when Meg, Meg says, oh, I'll buy you coffee today. We're, we're on the road or something. She'll be like, oh, I'll buy you coffee. I'm like, hun, it's all the same pot. Like, when, yeah, when do you exactly. see that? Yeah, exactly. It's just like, you feel special pulling your wallet out? Yeah. Like, because it's the same pot. It's the same Exactly. Pot, My bank right? card's your bank card. I yeah, know. like that's, that's how I look at it because we're all bringing quality to the table. We're yep. all bringing strengths to the table. Exactly. And if you're in the right relationship, your strengths will kind of pick up your partner and your partner's strengths will pick up your weaknesses. It's a very subjective conversation, to be honest sure. with you, because people have very different views on this. Yeah. In a perfect world, it would be a team effort. But in today's day and age, just society doesn't allow everyone to see that from our lens. Right. Well, so. I can tell you right now, after this podcast, I'm heading to the store and I'm going to use our bank card to buy a second comforter. <laughs> Had a boy. Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to plug in the microwave. That's right. <laughs> hey, we'll be right back. Okay, wait a sec. Adults say they want to make the world a better place. What are they doing to help? Seriously, tell me. Learn how to achieve your goals while making a world of difference. Hashtag call Renee, responsible investment specialist of St. Cyr and Associates. So you kind of talked about working together as a unit, and I kind of want to touch on the same thing, a little bit like the same thing. So a few episodes ago, I talked about marketing to a younger audience, and we actually had some listeners reach out hoping to hear more about the whole using other people's content, which I think is pretty cool because it's so impactful. So let's talk about the power of user-generated content. Please do explain. What is that? So this is essentially a dynamic way that you can transform that casual customer into like a passionate brand ambassador. Okay. okay. Which is exciting because you want 
your customers and your followers to be proud to use your product or your service. Yeah, we keep talking about that whole movement, right? It's the, oh. it's the Lululemon, the Harley Davidsons. The exactly. Yeti. Megan and I were driving yesterday. We're, we're on a little mini road trip looking for plants. Because yeah. We wanted to fill our, our new place with foliage. And I looked down on my Yeti and I'm like, this is the next fucking Harley Davidson and Lululemon. There's such a sense of belonging. That well, there's the Yeti. Want. Now there's the Stanley Cups, which is a whole new stupid thing. Uh, <laughs> fuck. This is basically using your customers and followers content to market your business. Okay, cool. So it's more than just content created by users, though. It's a way to build genuine connections and kind of foster that community around your business or your products or service. I, I talk about this all the time, and I'm going to bring it up again. Let's talk strategy, okay? Because that is the most important part. And I've hit on this so much before, but a strong user-generated content strategy that shit lies with embracing authentic content, like created by the real customers. And this shit resonates profoundly with audiences. It not only humanizes your products or service or your business, but it also establishes that transparency, right? And we talked about this before. It creates that relatable narrative, which in today's fucking noisy world of digital marketing speaks volumes. Can I get off on a tangent? Yeah, that get off on a tangent. Of, Do it. That made me think of a client. So a couple came in this week and it was the first time they saw our new building. Yeah. They were so intrigued about the fact that we had chosen glass walls for all of the partition walls on the okay. side. <laughs> I kind of referenced, you know, Google and Apple to have this, you know, this, the inclusivity and this, yeah. this team camaraderie and just, you know, having this openness with all the natural light. And they said, you know what? It also gives us transparency that you're not hiding things behind yeah. closed doors. Yeah, yeah. That you've got your entire team that's just working collectively. 100%. Everyone can see each other and the clients come in and they can see our support staff and everyone gets to know the team that was once hidden behind closed doors. Yeah. They describe that as transparency of our business, which was really cool. It was a, it was a feel good moment. That's literally a real life humanizing factor right there. Booyah, bitches. Because they can see the real people. They see them working. They see them doing something. They could see Ryan in the in the office thinking, oh, Ryan must be working on my stuff or see Liz in the back. No, no, no. We did hide Ryan because... You did hide? Yeah, I, yeah. We tend, I would too. That, and that's why we <laughs> recommended that you text Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Ryan. We do love Ryan. No, We're just no. He's him. awesome. He's not ugly. I'm just joking. You're not ugly, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan does need some privacy because he has a lot of private conversations with clients. And yeah, so do yeah. I. But for, for the rest of our team who don't regularly meet with clients, and it's so nice to have like, you'll have Ryza or Meg or whatever, just a client will walk in and, and even though you can't hear each other in the office because yeah. of the glass walls, you can see each other. Exactly. So if they happen to pop their head up from, from their screen and see you walk in, yeah. just giving a little wave and like a thumbs up or something. It's just, it creates a, a like a connection. It's Sometimes just, I get a finger. I won't lie. <laughs> yeah. You're the only one. <laughs> oh, that's a, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're number one, Daryl. I'm number one. <laughs> You're the only number one we've got. <laughs> but user-generated content needs to go beyond endorsements. And people need to understand that that's a big part of the strategy. It's about building a vibrant community right? An ecosystem around your brand. That's so sexy what you just Am said. Am I speaking your language? 
So if people, I know there are some people who are listening, they're like, so what the hell does that mean? What's an ecosystem around your brand? Well, it means you're going to create engagement and interaction among your customers. So it's not just that they're going to post stuff about you or you're going to post their content. You're creating space where they feel connected with each other and your brand where they can talk to each other. But the key here is that you as the brand need to actively participate in these communities. So whether that's a Facebook group or just on your your socials and you're in the chat, in the comments, you need to acknowledge and celebrate that diverse way in which your business is being experienced by these people. Well, I have a question for you on that one, sir. So I'm probably not alone, Mm -hmm. uh, but the business that we're in is very confidential, Mm -hmm. right? So people uh, will go to Tim Hortons and talk about their STDs long before they're they're going to talk about their finances, (laughs) whether they have money or they have debt. No one wants to talk about how rich they are. Well, the odd jerk, right? The guy with the small dick and the big tires. That's right. But (laughs) for the most part, people that are wealthy don't want to brag about it. And people that are poor are embarrassed about it. So finances is more confidential than your problem state problems, Mm -hmm. right? So when I have a client that like is wearing our hashtag plan with Jack hat and who is in the Caribbean loving life and sends me a selfie because I've given them a hat and they're wearing it and they're like, this is super cool. How do you ask them to say, listen, because I find that to be a real struggle for me because I'd love for them to just post it on social media and just be proud of working with us. Right. But how do we ask that client? Because I find that's really awkward because I don't want them to feel obligated to say yes, Mm -hmm. because I, a lot of the clients we work with are very private and I respect that. Right. Like, like Meg is like that. We're polar opposite. I'm like, I don't give a shit. Meg is super private. She's like, I don't want people to know what color underwear I wear. This is my business. How do you tactfully ask for permission to share that? Or do you just not and hope that they share it? You know, your clients best. Even if they are a stranger online who's buying a product, if you look at their social media, you can kind of gauge how they are. Is their account private? Is it, you know, all these things. And so you have to kind of decide, is this the right client who could be a good brand ambassador, right? Is this a client who would be proud to say, this is what I do or whatever, or are they just so shy and so, you know, that, that close tight minded that it's like, if I ask to share this, they're going to be so uncomfortable. So you kind of got to gauge each person based on that. And then, yeah, it sucks, but you got to just ask. And when you ask, you can be tasteful about it. You could even beat around the bush if you're really trying to avoid just coming out and asking by saying, you know, oh, my God, I love this shot. I wish we could put this on our social media for everyone to see because this is such a captivating moment. Yeah, it's a good point. And because it's funny, some clients will say will actually send me a picture and say, you're good to post this on social media because they know that there's there's some benefit because we genuinely want to create this Mm -hmm. sense of belonging, right? Is like we want to have the Lululemon and the Harley Davidson and the Yeti brand for people to be super proud of working with us. Well, and that's why I say like these Facebook groups, they're, they're, they're very important because it allows you to touch with your base. And I know you are a business that's confidential. However, you know, if you had like a Facebook group and I know it, it makes you need time to do that. So I'm not saying you need to do that. I'm not giving you crap for what you do. No, I don't have time for that. No, I'm exactly. Sorry. Well, we do a podcast, which is your group. We're talking to people already. So, but if you had a Facebook group, for example, you could post stuff where you could say to your Facebook group where we've been talking about dual income couples and 
here are some tips that we've come up with and then see who responds. And you don't have to jump on them right away. But if people start responding, you're like, oh, these are clients. They're responding publicly, really. And now you start engaging with them. You agree with them. You say, oh, yeah, great point. Or, oh, you know what? We think about it a different way, whatever it is. And the more you engage with them, the more they're going to start to interact with you. And then that's when you build that trust. Like I've said before, the authenticity, you build that. And then all of a sudden now they're so compelled that, yeah, on their social media page, they are going to post that picture with your T-shirt on or your hat on because they're excited about it. They know you talk about them. They're not afraid to talk in public about you. So then when you ask them, can I post this picture? It's already in the works. It's been in the works for months or years, right? Yeah, because we're not the reason because it's their income and their efforts that sent them to Mexico or to send them to Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. They're spending time in Europe. You know, we've got clients all over the world. And I genuinely give a fuck about these people. They're yeah. my friends. They're my family. <laughs> yeah. So it's like when I get those genuine posts that yeah. people aren't even asking or kind of suggesting, they just do it. Yeah. It's just like, oh, thanks to Renee and his team. You know, this allowed us to do this or to be here or to do that. And I was like, oh, that that's more than any amount of money or anything. It's like we've had a direct impact. Yeah, for sure. People that we work with. And that it, that is my purpose in life. But that's the thing. You actively participate in those types of moments, right? So other people, they'll see clients will reach out and be like, oh, my God, look at I'm on vacation. Thanks to you. And privately, they'll message back and they're like, oh, congratulations. Great. However, when they post it on social media, a lot of people will just click the like button. Oh, they're wearing my T-shirt. I like it. No, comment. Say something great yeah, about you have it. To engage them. You got to jump on exactly. That so that leads me to my next point of kind of what you can do. Well, optimize your user-generated content strategy by designing experiences. This is huge, and this naturally lends themselves to sharing. Whether it's interactive contests, challenges, immersive campaigns where you encourage users to share and participate. And their outcomes are being put on social media. The more shareable the experience, the higher the likelihood of user-generated content that extends your brand's reach organically. Sometimes you do the breakfast in the mornings outside of your place. When you're doing that and we're taking pictures and we're posting them online, that is what I'm talking about. Those shareable moments, right? You take a picture of someone eating bacon and eggs and drinking coffee outside your office and you share that to social media because they're okay. Do you mind if we share this? No, no, no. Share it. Go ahead. You share it. Now, guess what? They're going to share your content. You need to leverage that power of social media platforms, right? And I've said it before, identify your target audience is the most important part you can do. And then you tailor that user-generated content on those platforms, whether it's through branded hashtags, interactive polls. One of my favorites is like the story feature on Instagram, because you can allow people to participate by saying, upload your picture. And you literally put the little sticker, upload your picture. But again, engaging with your audience on these platforms not only amplifies the visibility of that content, but it also enhances your brand's overall social media presence. Because you're saying, saying, hey, we're out there, we're doing this, we're communicating with you. So a big part of our team is physical fitness, right? As a balance to, you know, the Mm -hmm. body, mind and soul. So like a big, big part of our team, like Ryan is a very avid swimmer. Megan competes, of course. I love to stay fit. I'm trying to just like slow the aging process. Our whole team is on board with physical activity. So we did this fit February that we're at the tail end of. Yeah. So that would be a perfect example to have people to say, post this picture. 
Yep. Right. So fit February is we give a hundred memberships to the first newcomers, not, not existing members. So we're trying to uh, fuel and Get engage people to, start, yeah. people to start and to take action. Like the first step is always the toughest, right? Mm-hmm. So having that kind of strategy to get people involved in something that we really feel passionate and we feel strongly about, we feel the importance of getting physically active yep. is that, oh, post your picture. And then all of a sudden you got someone who's on a treadmill or someone who's getting personal yep. training or someone who's lost five pounds, right? That, yeah. that could be fucking huge for oh, someone. 100%. You know how much of a gazelle you feel like when you start to lose weight? Oh, like no it just... You feel better. You sleep yep. better. Your mood is better. It's like, fuck, why would we not all I dance do in the this? mirror naked a little better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> shake your butt from behind. Shake that booty. But see, that's a good point. And this is my last point is that taking it one step further can optimize the strategy, right? So I talk about implementing recognition and reward type programs. So whether that's, you know, you get points and you can get a discount or it's an exclusive discount. But with this program, your Fit February that you're doing, you're literally telling people you're you're doing it a little backwards, but that's okay. Is that you're saying <laughs> that's hey, my mo? That's exactly you're saying. Hey, we're going to give you a free one month membership to join this fitness center, which has nothing really to do to your business. On the flip side of the social media and this whole engaging thing is that the person who does take that picture and post it online and says, "Hey, thank you, Saint Cyr and Associates," and you did this last year, and we had those types of posts, is that. It's almost like a reward. You gave them something. It's not just post the fucking picture and that's it. You're giving them something. That's why I say like whether it's an exclusive discount or you're going to do a spotlight campaign on this person or you're featuring their content if you're a bigger company on your official social media channels, right? It's all about that appreciation factor and people love free shit, right? Whether it's a discount, whether it's like nominal or not, it creates that positive feedback type loop, right? Then when I say that, I mean, they love you, you love them, the whole circle of love type thing. There's this one person that took advantage of our free membership last year in January of 2023. Yeah. And Megan still sees this person regularly at the gym. Amazing. Working out and has maintained that level of physical activity. So, so awesome. out of a hundred, if we have one, one. of the yeah. one, it's worth it because we've made a difference. Yeah. It's so, so impactful so to be awesome. able to do something that recognizes your business and what your business is about and the values that you guys kind of cherish. Yeah. And actually making a difference in the community that you live, work and and spend your money and spend your time in. It's fucking, it's so enriching. Well, here's the great thing. insane is that you guys give a shit, which is awesome. Because when you see that, you're it's not true looking... because I have the t-shirt. I have the t-shirt. That's right. You do have a t-shirt. So we give a shit. <laughs> no, we, we give a fuck. Oh, That's we give a fuck. T-shirt. You guys care. And it's not that you're looking for that recognition. You're just happy to see them at the gym and you made the difference. But at the same time, if you flip that, whether it's on social media or just word of mouth, somebody at some point has said to this person, so what got you to come to the gym and start this whole fitness journey? And for them to say, oh, St. Cyr and Associates gave a free one month. That's what I'm talking about. That's a brand ambassador. Whether they are on social media or not, the fact that they say those words is the brand ambassador in them. Yeah. Listen, that's it. Be authentic. Be involved. Use content with strategy and celebrate those people. You be you, man. That's what's really cool. We'll be right back. Many people and businesses are working towards a better world. 
Discover a market that delivers measurable social and environmental benefits. The world is in your hands, so demand more. We do. Hashtag call Renee, responsible investment specialist of St. Cyr and Associates. I want to bring something up. And before you get mad at me, because you get mad at me for this when I do this. I say sorry a lot to you. Fuck me, man. And you, you get upset. But I want to talk about. I'm upset right now. I know. I, I want to talk about being human. Not so much the sorry. The sorry is part of it. Being overly apologetic is not being human. <laughs> well, just, I want to take it a step further. We're not, than just, I'm not a pro. I'm not a pro, but I know that. <laughs> I want to take it a step further and not just talk about the I'm sorry, but the art of the apology. I know. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. I've heard that <laughs> a fucking 100,000 times from you. I'll be honest with you. I was expecting you to apologize for apologizing right now. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I want to talk more about in relationships and whether that's with a spouse, like someone you're intimate with, whether that's a friend, whether that's a coworker, because we have times in our life where something happens on a bigger scale. And sometimes we can get in our own heads that even though we know we're wrong, we still want to fight and not say that apology. That's so weird how like us as humans just have this very, very strong desire to be right. Oh, why, why is that? Like, I wish we could, you know, well, we I'll tell you the right answer. Cause I have it. <laughs> we should find us. We should find a psychologist to interview on this because I would love to understand the human behavior on this. It's like, yeah. I'm at the point where I don't apologize because I know that Megan won't. So I'm like, it's not 50-50 here. <laughs> We're not, not sharing a bank account. I, I'm so of tired stories. of apologizing because <laughs> she won't apologize when she's at fault. So you why guys would have I your own separate accounts of apologies. Oh, I even when I'm wrong, I don't apologize anymore because I'm like, <laughs> when she's wrong, she never apologizes. I would love to have a psychologist fucking come on this show and tell us why that yeah. is because we should. You know what? When you're wrong, I was like, Meg, I'm sorry, man. I, I fucked up. Yeah. And that's impactful when you're genuine about it too, right? Yes. I'm not perfect. I hate being called the boss, by the way. When I'm at the, the office. Well, oh, I called team. you that once. And boy, <laughs> I you've given me dirty looks over the years, but that was on who, another level. Who, who am I? Bruce Springsteen? <laughs> Fuck you, man. But we all have roles to play in the organization and we all bring our strengths and, and our strengths kind of support the weaknesses of others and it's how we make things work but when i fuck up i want to come good for it say like i'm sorry yeah. man i i fucked up and and i'm only human and i'm going to try really hard not to fuck up on that again and i'm going to learn from my mistake but why is it so difficult daryl Boulay, for humans to fucking say that i don't know like when i apologize or when somebody apologizes to me i find that it's just it's an honest dialogue right and it fosters that understanding and that empathy of the relationship and i honestly think it's like a crucial step to resolving a conflict and it addresses that concern right it's like i know i was wrong and i'm owning up to it let's talk about where we can go from here to fix it all i don't know about you but like even in, in a non intimate relationship like if it's a coworker yeah. or whatever when you genuinely apologize don't you find you're having like that that like makeup sex with that person well, it validates it kind the of, feelings, right? It kind of brings you closer where it's like, Renee recognized he fucked up and that it wasn't my fault. Yep. He, 
become good for it. It just, it strengthens that relationship. But yeah, rebuilding trust. Your example though, is like, you've been apologizing for the last 18 years for stealing blankets. Like that's a long time for apologizing. <laughs> when you rectified the problem and realized you had been apologizing for nothing for 18 years, did you get that in return? <laughs> <laughs> I did not. So that's, that's the root of our conversation right there is why is it so hard for fucking people to apologize? And it's like, that's it's everybody. It's messed up. And that's what I think. I think when you apologize, it shows that commitment to your own personal growth and that desire to kind of avoid repeating that mistake, right? And so, yes, my wife did not apologize for her pushing the blankets on my side. It was more of a, <laughs> that was funny that I do that for the last 18 years. But is it a control, like subliminally, like Aaron yeah. is sweet as pie. Oh, yeah. She wouldn't purposely dominate you, but is it a control thing where she's like, okay, if I apologize, all of a sudden I'm being more submissive. I don't know. That's a good right? question. Or is it? I'm admitting being wrong, which makes me weaker. Like, we are not experts at this, but man, I sure would love to have some of these answers because it's fucked up to me because we should be comfortable with apologizing when we fucked up. Yeah. And I I know, like, I, again, again, like we've talked about it, I apologize for everything over the last 18 years. Yeah. See, I don't even take your apology seriously anymore. So when you really genuinely need to apologize, <laughs> like if you kick me in the balls and you're like, yeah, after you regret it and you're like, I'm really sorry. I'm like, oh. I'm like the boy yeah, who cried wolf with sorry. Yeah, yeah I get it. It doesn't mean much because you said sorry earlier when you thought you bumped into me in the stairwell. And see, I, I apologize for even the minor inconveniences that cause people because I don't like to inconvenience people in any way so i i do it when it's like you know i'll show up to someone's house and i'm like two minutes late i'm still kind of on time but in my mind that two minutes i'm like they looked at their watch at least once and said he said he's gonna be here at five (laughs) and it's five Uh two so when i get there i'm like sorry we're late (laughs) the funniest (laughs) is i'm like that daryl except the reason we're late is because Megan can't get her shit together because she's got, <laughs> so she's getting ready for a dinner party and she's got to do her makeup. She's got to have the clothes just right. And it's like, she has no concept of time and we show up late and I'm apologizing. I'm so sorry for showing up. I'm so sorry. We're late guys. But on the back of my mind, like why the fuck is Megan not apologizing? She's the one who made us late. See, I've been ready goes- for, I just drank a bottle of wine waiting for her to go to this fucking dinner party. (laughs) We talk about Ah. dual income relationships, but this is the same thing as dual sorry relationship. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's one account. You're working as a team. (laughs) I'm doing a spousal apology instead of a spousal RSP. Yeah. I'm so sorry for Megan being late. It's like I get the credits, (laughs) but she gets to get off scot-free. That's right. Yeah. You're getting the tax break. Fuck me. That's new, man. Put that shit on Wikipedia, man. A spousal apology is like a spousal RSP. She gets the benefit. <laughs> you get the credit. <laughs> Holy fuck. It's genius. Oh, my God. I'm dying here. I've never laughed so hard on a podcast ever. <laughs> I'm, I'm tearing up. <laughs> <laughs> a spousal apology. I'm sorry I made you cry. I think we're, we're on to something. <laughs> oh my God. I'm fucking giggling like a schoolgirl. But it's true. Why is it so fucking hard for people? It's I stupid. don't know. And it does so many great things, right? Like obviously self-improvement, but strengthening a bond. Because if you know someone struggling with what you've done, all you have to do is literally say you're sorry. 
Listen, if you embrace that accountability, that forgiveness, contribute more positively to your relationship, whether that's the coworker, whether that's the spouse, whether that's a friend, sorry goes a long way if you genuinely mean it. For sure. I'm a big advocate of that. You know what? You got to own up for fucking up. Yeah. Whoa, that's got a nice ring to it. You got to own up for fucking up. Yeah, that's a t-shirt right there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be a great uh, Valentine's Day uh, promotion for (laughs) spouses who refuse to admit they're wrong ever. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, listen, we are out of here. Thanks for joining us. I'm sorry if we said anything that you didn't like. <laughs> stop. Stop apologizing, please. Drive me crazy. Well, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> See you next time. Everybody wants a piece of me.